Riz is like short for charisma. So, you know, oh, if you're like really okay. spitting game to a girl and she likes you, you've got Riz. Pro Shop has the most Riz in Metal oh, Working Nation. Nick. Like really personified by the big hair gig that <laughs> you did at the end. Hey, Nick, thanks for sending me that shop tour video that you just did. That was great. Yeah, you know, I got the idea from one of my customers and they told me that when they have a prospect visit their shop for a tour, they have an over 90% close rate. Well, you know, with all of these supply chain problems, people are setting up new vendors all the time. Why not send them one of those videos instead? Yeah, it was great. The ThomasNet team helped me. They sent somebody to my facility and they were able to kind of capture a shop tour without it being in person. So you can check that out on my ThomasNet profile, Advanced Machine and Engineering or Hennig. We actually had two of them done. That's great. And I talked to ThomasNet about this and they said that they can send a camera with short notice anywhere in the U.S. and Canada. And when you go to ThomasNet, you can engage with a half a million suppliers, 78,000 categories of products, and every month they have 1.5 million buyers searching out suppliers. And videos are a great way for people to find out about your facility. Yeah, and it's really easy to sign up. You just go to the website, thomasnet.com, and a few clicks and you'll be right there. So go to business.thomasnet.com slash programs, and that'll take you directly to sign up for one of their videos. That's business.thomasnet.com slash programs. Hey, we're chilling in the LBC, about to record MC with my guy, Pauly V. <laughs> <laughs> If the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metalworking Nation. This is Making Chips, where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts. Let's make some chips. All right, Paul, you inspired me. I had to try to be an artist. I saw that video of you. On oh, yes. Where the you, 80s rock star. Yeah, you were 80s rock. I went for like hip hop because we're in Long Beach. Absolutely. It's the home of Snoop Dogg. It's the home of Nate Dogg. It's the home of Warren G. Other people from Long Beach. Cameron Diaz. Okay. And Nicolas Cage. A lot of famous people from yeah, here. Heck yeah. But a lot we're of about to make Long Beach more famous with this episode <laughs> of, of <laughs> Making Chips. So got some good stuff today. By the way, why are we in Long Beach? We are here for West Tech yeah. and Aerodef. Yeah, yeah. And Aerodef. That's exactly. Right. Yeah. And I got to wander through there. Um, it's kind of like a co-hosted yep. event. Yep. So Aerodef is for Aerospace and Defense. And did you just walk through there just to kind of like, did. like yeah. browse? Yeah, yeah. Lots of like breakout sessions and things like that. I don't yeah. know enough about Aerodef. I'm doing a panel tomorrow, actually. Oh, you are? Yep. Cool. Software manufacturing. But yeah, it's uh, yeah, lots of machine shops there, lots of other vendors serving the aerospace and defense industry. But yeah, it's great to have them co-located and be able to kill two birds with one stone, so to speak. It makes sense because most of my customers out here on the West Coast are doing primarily aerospace and defense type. There's work. a lot of it down in Southern California. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, all across the Northwest as well. So we are outside, like describe the view for the metalworking nation here. We are in a bit of a, maybe a cabana type thing with drapes, there's palm trees, there's a pool. You might even be able to hear the seagulls. There's a tiny little mini like Volkswagen bus that for part of the decorations. It's gorgeous. Stunning. There's the Queen it's, Mary. The Queen Mary is right there. Yeah. 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 
it's beautiful. It's a lot better than recording in my booth like we did and last time. I was time. glad to get out of the rain in the Northwest to on come the, down here. On the East Tech when we recorded last on the other coast of this country. So we're going to talk a little bit about Chip on My Shoulder. We do that fun segment. And then you're here to shed some wisdom for our audience on basically how not to screw up your ERP implementation. Like, Absolutely. And this, I think, would apply to basically any kind of software. Sure. So when you look at pro shops and branding and kind of what's under your logo, there's three acronyms. Mm-hmm. Let's review those really quick for the audience. Sure. ERP. Yep. QMS. Yep. MES. Correct. Okay. ERP is what? Enterprise resource planning. Fancy word for kind of like the brains that kind of run your manufacturing company. and Yeah, on the office side and often includes full financials, inventory, things like that. Okay. And then... Uh, QMS, quality yeah. management systems, obviously. Well, the, in the context that we think of it in is managing your ISO AS9100 or 1345 or API quality system, the quality management systems that run the company, which are really, quite honestly, business management systems at this point. Quality is expected in our industry. But then also some of the tactical quality of inspections and first articles and AS9102 reports and things like that. And then the MES is manufacturing execution systems. And that is more of the sort of tactical on the shop floor, helping with throughput, work instructions, make sure machines are running, you're making chips as much as possible. So the actual like doing that. of manufacturing is more the MES. Yeah, like much more connected to the shop floor. Good standards, lean process, things like that. Yeah. Okay, good. yeah, that was the one I was kind of least familiar with. Like, what is an MES? I know you kind of, what do you call a pro shop? Like an ecosystem? Digital manufacturing ecosystem. Yeah, there you go. We're trying to get DME to become a popular term. All right, we'll start with this episode. <laughs> episode of making chips just like we got i think more and more people are doing this hashtag thank a machinist now yeah and sony's doing a video series like i had a nice workout this morning i was up at like 4 a.m good for you because you're coming from central time central time and daylight savings oh, so yes. i have like a three hour so i'm up <laughs> and i'm like all right better get a workout in but as i'm working out i'm looking at all the equipment and everything in the workout gym was like, oh yeah couldn't yeah, be thank, made without machinists thank a machinist for all that yeah exactly Jason, sometimes I feel like I have zero trust in you. Well, Nick, in a relationship, sometimes that's a good place to start. But all joking aside, what we're talking about today is zero trust security, which let me define that for you. Zero trust security means that no one is trusted by default from inside or outside the network, and verification is required from everyone trying to gain access to resources on the network, which is becoming very important in the manufacturing environment. Yeah, these OT assets are usually very susceptible to attack. So Nick, what is OT? OT is operational technology. So you'll find PLCs in every shop. You'll find HMIs on the touchscreens, on your controls, on your machines. These are what's susceptible. Okay, well, you know, OT assets are very susceptible to attack. I've heard of shops going down, a lot of damage being made to shops out there. Uh, There's often no security built into those assets, poor visibility and unencrypted traffic. Yeah, Palo Alto Network's industrial OT security is the solution that security teams need to provide effective visibility into these OT assets. That's right. Palo Alto Network's industrial OT security provides the most comprehensive zero-trust security across all OT environments. It's developed specifically for industrial and manufacturing operations, and it features comprehensive visibility, zero-trust security, and simplified operations. That's right. Protect your OT assets, networks, and remote operations with zero-trust OT security. Where can they learn more? To learn more, find the link in the description or visit paloaltonetworks.com. That's paloaltonetworks.com. 
All right, but before we dive into the episode today, like the meat of the episode, I've got a chip on my shoulder. Tell us about that. Are you tired of putting out fires? Is the coolant starting to go bad? Are your cutting tools edgy, or is that just how you're feeling? Chances are, we've been there too. So, we have to ask, what's the chip on your shoulder? The chip on my shoulder has to do with when people use like a contractual agreement that you're in with them almost as like a debilitating weapon against you, right? Like mm-hmm. some, some sort of limiting factor in how much value you can add to each other. Okay. And I'm trying to protect the innocent here, but I've got an example right now where I'm third generation. So I inherited a lot of agreements and deals and partnerships and things like that. And the longer I'm leading our sales team, the more I'm trying to like uncover what those are and figure out how they work and a lot of the stuff was done with a handshake or like a weird napkin sketch. And so yeah, there's one particular partner where we're kind of having some struggles with, we're not hitting the mutual goals that we set. And I'm like, Hey, can you send me a copy of our agreement? And this person's like, no, I'm going to hold on to that. Well, this is an agreement between us. So my predecessor didn't file it the right way. I need to see this. And the person goes, let me just tell you what it says. If either side parts ways, we owe the other side $2 million. Wow. I'm thinking, all right, my dad's made mistakes and everything, but he's a pretty smart guy. Like, I don't think he would sign something like that in this case. Anyway, long story short, like six weeks go by. Finally, it's like, we got to talk about the agreement because we need to get into a new one. I got to understand the current one before I get into a new one. And like, there's nothing in the agreement. We were able Mm -hmm. to find it. And this person doesn't even know, like, we found it. So he's under the impression that he's got like this sneaky, like I have the upper hand on you. And there's really basically no agreement. Oh, man. It expired in 2003. And even the agreement prior to that had no like $2 million divorce settlement clause thing in there. So it's just. That's just not ethical. Yeah. It's just stuff like that. Like, I think there's obviously a time and a place for contracts and they're needed. But when people try to use agreements as a weapon to kind of like prevent you from growth or prevent you from extracting the value out of your business. That's the chip on my shoulder. And I think you might be able to resonate with that. Oh, yes. In the software world, there's a lot of agreements. We had a client. I asked them how he came to be to join ProShop. And he said, well, I was with another company. And when I took over the business from the previous owner, because he had worked there for like 10 years and they used another ERP. When they learned that he took it over, they told him he had to rebuy the software because the license wasn't transferable to him. (laughs) And they sent a cease and desist letter and wanted to send a lawyer to like and an auditor to prove that he wasn't still using the software. Does that kind of stuff ever work long term? That is the worst long term creating good value and relationships and goodwill for your company, for your customers in the industry. Yeah, it's a terrible long term proposition. Yeah, it's just, okay, maybe you kind of win or you give somebody a headache, but I would be like err on the other side. Like, you know what? Our agreement says this, but if it's not working out for whatever reason, let's just like do what's sure. best for both sides and move on. Anyway, that's a chip I on agree my shoulder. With you. And I'm sure you've got a hundred examples in your world and I've got more examples in mine, but things that manufacturing leaders can resonate with. So I would introduce you, Paul, but we've done it, I don't know, eight times. You're a staple. You're part of what makes making chips great. But for maybe the, Thank you. the few who are tuning in for the first time, Paul is a, you ran a machine shop in your past life. Yep. Started one from out of college. Yeah. Ran it. And went through all those bumps and bruises and learned a lot from it. And actually, you went through the whole like selection process of like a business system. And I think mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, you learned from that process, like nothing really does what we want it to do. And you had some connections with some people who had some skills and you were like, why don't we build our own? Exactly. And so yep. you built it for yourself. And then from there, you had a good customer. We don't need to retell the story for the fourth time, but you had a good customer who was like, 
impressed with how your system worked and wanted to buy. Yeah, for first asked us where we got it. And then ultimately, when we told them we did, they asked us if we would sell it to them, which after some back and forth, we decided to give it a shot and went so well that it inspired us to sell our manufacturing company and start a software company. And I would say there's a word that the kids are using these days, Riz. You know what Riz means? I don't. So Riz is like, I had to Google this, by the way. I thought I was like cool and hip until like some of these new words came out. Riz is like short for charisma. So, you know, if you're like really spitting game to a girl and she likes you, you've got Riz. Pro Shop has the most Riz in metalworking oh, nation. Nick. Like really personified by the big hair gig that you did at the NTMA event. I've never seen any other leaders of software companies. I did a uh, Modern Machine Shop magazine webinar just a couple of weeks ago in that same and outfit. That. A full 80s rocker. That's brilliant. Big wig, big hair. It was fun. And you inspired me to try my freestyle rapping career that I should probably end immediately. But <laughs> anyway, let's get into the topic today. So The implementation of a new software system, ERP, MES, QMS, whatever acronym, CRM, whatever it is. I think the principles we're going to talk about in this episode apply to basically any new system that you're going to use to make your business better. So, And it applies, quite honestly, to things that aren't even software, just big initiatives in a company that are affecting a lot of people. There's things to learn for anything like that. Yeah. When people see the title of the episode, Botched, and they know we're over here in LA, Hollywood land, right? This has nothing to do with plastic surgery. This is (laughs) with botching and implementing. Implementation. So one of the main principles that you and I talked about before we started recording is a lot of times what screws up the implementation happens way prior to the implementation process. Absolutely. So the selection process. Yeah. You're a shop, you know you need a more advanced system. And so you're going through the selection process. And in honor of Halloween, which we just passed uh, it was last week or something, we want to tell some horror stories. Sure. Okay. So give me a horror story for you can protect the innocent too. No naming names. Yeah, no names. But, One of these where the selection screwed up the implementation. Give me a horror story there. Yeah, and we've even changed our process now uh, as a result of this particular story. But we went through several demos, three or four demos with the president of this machine shop. And although he wasn't co-located with his shop, so he lived in California, his shop was on the East Coast. And pretty thorough process, seems good. Although in hindsight, we realized that he wasn't including his senior leadership or his lieutenants or leaders or managers in those demos. So when we go to have the kickoff meeting for the first day of implementation, they ask the question, what's pro shop? (laughs) And so they've already like signed up. They've signed the deal. They've signed up. (laughs) They put their deposits down, whatever. We're going to kick off the implementation. That's got to go down. It's like the worst thing to hear on kickoff day. We could not believe it. (laughs) that he hadn't even really shared with them what was going on, that they were replacing their ERP. And so You might imagine that did not go well. It was heels dug in from that first meeting onward, and it was just an uphill battle. And the fact that he wasn't even located in the company to like be there, and he pretty much abdicated all of his responsibility at that point. Yeah. And it was not good. It was terrible. Yeah, that's awful. So at this point, when we have leaders or owners, we say, all right, let's get the head of your manufacturing or your quality or your customer service and let's do demos with them. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about what they need and make sure that pretty much all departments are represented in the process. Because I can tell you, when you get all that and you get that much alignment by everybody who gets excited about what's coming and what, how it's going to impact them and their people and their departments and their processes, it is so much easier. Yes. Yes, totally. So While we were talking, I was mentioning a piece of your website where on your website, it says there's a download, like a white paper download. I can't remember the exact title, but kind of mistakes to avoid or something like that. And that's one of them, like not including all the major departments. So Yeah, that's another one. I mean, even I think in that case, 
letting certain departments have a greater outsized influence on the decision okay. than they probably should. Is there one department that kind of stands out more than others that maybe they should all be balanced, but one of them ends up carrying more weight? Sure. Well, I think because ERP does have a very strong financial component to it, mm-hmm. a lot of times, depending on the size of the company, they'll let the accounting department or the CFO or whatever kind of lead the search. And sometimes to the detriment of the other departments because they're not included in sort of what their needs are. Mm-hmm. Quite honestly, a lot of the times that we have companies coming to us, they need a better system is because they chose a very accounting-centric system that has really poor, if very little, manufacturing or quality functionality or scheduling or the things that actually matter a lot right, on a right. daily basis to making sure the shop or the factory runs smoothly. So the books are clean, but everything else is a mess. Yeah. So, if you know, I think about my dad, like, I've been in the CEO seat for a long time and he's certainly a manufacturing guy too, but he's like, I need good financials. You know, I got to talk to banks. I got to make Absolutely. investments. I need good financials. And of course, of course you, do. you do. So like a lot of times the, the person with the strongest voice or the final say or whatever, the veto power is someone who's like most stressed potentially about like the last part of the process, the getting the good financials. Mm-hmm. And I just want good, accurate financials that I can trust. You and I were talking earlier and one of the things you said is like, my customers, me, we're manufacturing companies. We want to have better results on the financials. And so let's speak to that a little bit. Like, Sure. Yeah. So a manufacturer should really ask themselves the question, what do our customers pay us to do? And the answer is going to be, it's making parts, delivering them on time with good quality, yeah, right? Accounting. Yeah. Your customers don't pay you to invoice them or to do accounting sure. or put your financials together. And I know you're not saying like that stuff's not important. Oh, it's critically important. Yeah. It's got to be clean. You got to be able to do your AR and AP processes. You got to have your financial statements. But quite honestly, even accounting-based systems are often very poor at job costing, which is one of the most important things in a manufacturer. Yeah. So accounting-based systems aren't that good at cost accounting. Correct. <laughs> They're generally quite poor. When you get into the nuances of that are everyday occurrences in shops where they have a job, but then they have a fixture and then they have a related part number, then they share a setup and they share a fixture or whatever. There's so many nuances or they might run two jobs back to back because they're a similar dash number. And there's a lot of and or you have people running multiple machines at the same time. So like the devil in cost accounting is in the details. Absolutely is. And most DRPs do that terribly. Financial centered ones maybe don't understand the details of running a manufacturing company. They for sure don't. Gotcha. Yeah. That makes perfect sense to me. Are they kind of like more macro cost accounting, like kind of too general with how they, okay, what's your labor rate and what's this, but they don't actually know what the labor is Yeah. I mean, a common one is we have people that run three, four machines at a time and we can't split the labor costs or the burden of each machine properly. And so we don't actually have good good data. You're trying to get people run more than one machine. Sure. I think about my world, like I'm trying to lengthen cycle times. And I'm like, why? Because I want to get more parts per cycle. Mm-hmm. And I don't want someone to... I'll give some context. Like, we design and build fixtures. Okay. So, I want my customers to have their best floor employees doing more than, like, opening and closing doors and loading and unloading parts every two minutes. Sure. If I could take a two-minute cycle time and do way more parts in that working envelope and turn it to a half hour, this person can now, like, be more productive, more creative, maybe run two or three machines. Absolutely. If my... ERP system doesn't know how to split that, that cost of that sure. operator, that machinist across three machines. Yeah, it's, it's kind of case. Yeah, you, you can't have good costing. That is certainly an area where that could ultimately lead to failure because the financial team is now saying, 
or the manufacturing team, like, I don't have good costing data. So the system is not working for me. So sure. we need a different system. Yeah, it's almost like they created their own worst enemy. Yes. Hey, Metalworking Nation, Jason Zenger here. I want to tell you about Palo Alto Networks. They offer zero trust for OT without the PTSD. Keeping operational technology secure and running smoothly is a tall order. It's enough to make the coolest operations director wake up with night sweat, and we don't want that. Zero Trust OT Security delivers comprehensive visibility and security for all OT assets, networks, and remote operations. The Palo Alto Network Solution provides exceptional OT protection with over 1,100 app IDs for OT protocols, over 500 profiles for critical OT assets, and over 650 OT-specific threat signatures supported. It provides best-in-class security while simplifying OT security management. It sees and protects everything in the network, and it automates threat detection while implementing zero trust across all operations. We know right now that security at manufacturing companies is critical, and you need to take action on this. So sleep better with the most comprehensive platform to detect, manage, and secure OT assets. Learn how the Palo Alto Network's Zero Trust for OT Security Solution can achieve 351% ROI over five years. To learn more, find the link in the description or visit paloaltonetworks.com. That's paloaltonetworks.com. Okay, so another point that we made when we were just like kind of brainstorming mm -hmm. to what to cover in this episode, use real data and real processes in your demos. Yeah, so the key here is when you're doing a search for whatever software it is, it's got to work for your company. And most software companies will have their canned demos that look really slick and everything works great. But when you get into actually trying it yourself, using it in your data, your company, your situations, it often falls flat on its face. And it's because oftentimes companies don't, you know, the software companies kind of gloss over things that it doesn't do well. Mm -hmm. And you don't really understand this is exactly how we make things or do stuff. And I need to know how the software is going to work in my situation with my parts. Yeah. And so if the company is not willing to spend the time to build your part numbers or your scenario and then show you as closely as possible what it should look like in your company, that's a red flag. Okay, like this is resonating with me and I've never bought an ERP system or even been like one of the main voices in that. My side is like the sales side. So it's more CRM and like some marketing yep. software and things like that. A demo that was created by the company who built the software always looks beautiful. They like avoid roadblocks and the speed oh, absolutely. And they the do. obstacles. And then they show you like a beautiful dashboard. Like, wouldn't it be great if you knew this? Like, oh, and then you fall in love with that dashboard at the end. But it's like, yeah, I want that. Can you do that? Like, can you create that for me? Sure. Like, oh, yeah, we just showed you. Right. Like, yeah, but you didn't show me with my stuff. Right. And like, again, the devil's in the details. And that's where, what about this caveat? What about that caveat? So your point is like, if you use your own, your own stuff, your own process, your own data, you can see exactly how it works in your own real life. Yeah. It's much more likely to be aligned to your needs than some fake demo data. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of what we've talked about is selection, like you're choosing the system, mm -hmm. but this episode's about a failed implementation. And I think the point we were trying to make is do the selection process, right? So you don't screw up the... Yeah. If you have a system that's actually going to work well, the implementation should be far easier, much more likely to succeed. Okay, so now you're in implementation, and we were talking about this concept of separation anxiety. 
Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? Like they can't separate from what? A couple things. One is the way they do things today, which often includes workarounds that they've built into their processes because their current system doesn't work super well. So they are doing things in really convoluted ways. It's like, oh, this is the way we do this is we do these things and we export it to Excel and then we build a dashboard and then we share that at our meetings every morning. Well, wouldn't it be great if you didn't have to do that? Yeah, but that's we like to have it in Excel and we like to do those things. So, yeah. So just being open to sort of the bigger concept of what are we trying to achieve at the end of the day? It's like we want to deliver parts on time. Okay, so it doesn't actually matter if you get your data into an Excel sheet so you can present it at the production meeting every morning. What you really want is to know when your jobs are being late or what the priority is and what you need to work on today. There's likely better ways to achieve the same result than the way you're doing it today. So they can't separate their old process or their old data in many cases. Data is as well. And that's a separate topic, but it's not uncommon for clients to say, all right, I want to bring, I basically want to migrate the database from my old system into the new system. Like, can you just import the database? And do you recommend that? Or <laughs> no, it's like, a terrible idea. Okay. Do you because ever do pieces? I'm sure there's some pieces that move. Absolutely. Over, right? like you don't, yeah. You're not starting from square one. No, by no means. Yeah. You definitely want to bring data in, but you want to bring clean, relevant, current data. There's no point in bringing thousands of part numbers you haven't made in 10 years or clients or vendors you haven't worked with in many years either. Okay. There's always the opportunity to import more data later, at least the way we do things. But yeah, let's not bring in old stuff that is probably just going to clutter the system or be bad data, the whole garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. So less is more for like the data migration part of your implementation. Like when you want to bring stuff in, only the essentials. Bring in current part numbers, bring in things you have inventory for, bring in things that you are on contract that you know you're going to be making soon or have for in the last year or two. But another particularly big one for manufacturers is they want to bring in their job routers. And the way we think about job routers is quite a bit different than many ERP systems that aren't really well designed for manufacturing. So there are often big gaps in the routers of steps and things that they're doing that aren't represented in the ERP. A good example is when you have an outside process, it's not just going from machining to anodize and then to the customer. Like after machining, there's often there needs to be an outgoing inspection process and then it needs to ship to the vendor and then the vendor does its thing. And then when you get it back, you want to do a receiving inspection. Yes. Like those are critical, important so steps. And a lot of, and a lot of ERPs... Like sub steps are maybe left out of routers? In most routers, they're left out. Gotcha. Yeah. And we use those steps to trigger dashboards, to trigger work queues. And so it's like, yeah, I want to bring in my routers, but there's lots of gaps. So we need to fill in all the gaps. So there's creative ways to capture enough of the data that you don't doing a whole bunch of manual entry, but not bringing in garbage or things that we're going to you're gonna have to augment and rebuild later. So you always get me to like look at this world I grew up in through a different lens. You know, I see our routers. I've never like I know what they are. I know they say, OK, this step to that step to that step. But I've never really like dove deep into them sure. and thought about like, because we don't use ProShop. I wish we did sometimes, but you and I had a conversation in the past like, hey, this is why it's, we're probably not a good system for you right now. And one of the reasons why I really respect you is like, you weren't just like, hey, yeah, I can do it. But when I look at our routers, I have no idea if all the steps are included or not. I'm sure they're not. And they're probably not. And so part of like you building this around be actually being a manufacturer is like you knew all the devil in the details, like you knew all the sub steps or the sure. intermittent steps between one and the next. Yep. And so 
you'd probably be like, yes, we're an ERP system, but we're going to kind of like, in some ways, rewire how you think about process. Mm-hmm. Would that probably be safe to Absolutely. say? Absolutely. And so like when you just have preconceived notions about how things should be because of how things have always been, and then you try to force feed those into a new system, you're really limiting the value you can get from the new system. Yeah. And it often turns into a failure and it happens. I mean, again, that's why we often have people coming to us, but we have also had some failures of our own where we accepted a customer who really shouldn't have signed up for us in the first place because mm-hmm. we weren't going to be a good fit with the way that they wanting to like basically customize our system to be just like their old system. Yeah. Which is counterintuitive because they're leaving their old system because it doesn't work yeah, very there's well. There's a reason you're leaving. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, my point about thinking about if the grand picture is to deliver good parts on time, there's better ways to tackle that problem than the way they did it in their old system. And so to try to customize, and we've definitely had clients that, got right in and maybe it's because it's a common thing with the rps that there's a lot of customization that has to happen and pro shop there generally isn't but when they try to customize it and build workarounds only to realize many months into it they're like all right we're just going to stop any of that customization go right back to the original settings and oh my gosh look at that it works amazingly right like what do you know yeah and some of our best clients today that are raving fans had a really tough time in the first few months because they were trying to make it like their old system. It reminds like you're a father, I'm a father, and you think about like raising kids and you always see these parents who like, okay, my son or my daughter, they have to do exactly what I did. Like I played this sport, I played this instrument, I went to this school and I became a doctor, I became a machinist or whatever it is. Like, and it's like, you want them to have like a successful life. You want them to thrive be independent. They need humans. to find their own path. Like if you force them to go through all the same steps you did, they're going to end up with all the exact same flaws and they're going to, it's just, I don't know. I always think of these weird metaphors. Absolutely. Like, to me, that, I agree. that one applies. Yeah. Okay. Another one. You've kind of touched on this, but I think you've touched on this when you talked about like use your own data, but it's implementation time. Let's say they've selected the right system. They've got buy-in alignment. Like they're all ready to go. They're really excited. All those boxes checked. They have the enthusiasm. And now it's time to like kick off. Mm -hmm. And they're so excited that they're like, okay, I want to get this right. Like, I want to kick ass at this. Mm -hmm. So they study like crazy. They're like afraid to start. Sure. Yeah. Analysis paralysis of sorts. So like you're cautioning them against what exactly? Because like it sounds like everything in my scenario is really good, but they have Well, any complicated software is going to have lots of modules, lots of different things that it does. There's going to be some basic features. There's going to be really advanced features. And you don't need to learn the entire system front to back. It's impossible to learn the entire system front to back before you hit the go button. So the lesson here is to not try to learn every single aspect, every single feature, every module. And then we think these like massive go live, like where you're using your old system one day and then there's like a huge event. And then next Monday you're launching on the new system. Even the basic features that you learned at the beginning of training, you're going to forget those by the time you get many months down the road. So we don't believe that's a great way to go. Our most successful clients, the ones that have the most success in the least amount of time, the least friction, they just jump in with both feet. They start doing test work orders within a few days or a few training sessions. 
They're like, let's just try something simple here, right? If you're learning a sport, you don't watch hundreds of hours of video and then go try to play in the Super Bowl. Then, like, <laughs> yeah, right. you got to exactly. start small. You got to do practice. Yeah, you got to get Manning familiar. Didn't start on that iPad. You know? <laughs> exactly. He had an arch teaching him how to throw a ball. Same thing with language. You're learning a little bumps, new yeah. language. The best way to learn, you go practice, speak with yeah. someone, make mistakes, say the words. Did I get that right? No, it's this word instead. So, yeah, again, our clients, they'll take small segments of their business, maybe a certain work center or a certain department, and they'll just start right away. They'll right. start simply learn by doing. We're an industry full of doers. That's how people learn best. And you look at the numbers of how much people retain through reading something versus actually getting hands on and doing it. Yes. There's terrible retention just by reading something or watching a video. It's funny how like your biggest strength can sometimes be your biggest weakness. And if you look at it through a different lens and this learn by doing thing is something my brother says all the time. And he works with like lean folks. Like we have consultants working with us all the time. And they're always like, yeah, learn by doing, learn by doing. I tend to be like really strong in research and like really, you know, I'm going to read two or three books on this thing, whatever this topic is, and I'm going to try to really get it right and, and I'll do it, but it might take me a little too long. And maybe I should just kind of dive in and get started. And I think people like me, people who are like high on research, they're going to be like, ah, you know, I don't want to do it half-heartedly. Like I'm fully committed to this. I really want to get this right. And your recommendation would be like, then start doing it. Yeah, you know, that is the research. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Especially with software, learning the menus, learning where to click. There's just a lot to it. But you don't have to start running jobs with all your cutting tool management and a full inspection plan and everything fully documented. It's okay to have just the basics and then add in the advanced functions as you go and you have more bandwidth. And the basics become muscle memory sure. at that point. Okay, so... I like that you said like you do need the basics too because it can go too far the other way where you're like, well, they said learn oh, by sure. doing. So I can, you can not I'm understand. I'm like, let's throw shop yesterday and today I'm running my whole shop on it. Sure. So do you guys kind of define like, okay, these is like the essential acumen you need before you start? Yeah, we have a fundamental sort of approach we call crawling, running, walking. Right? Yeah, you yeah. can crawl with the system where you're using certain functions and you're replacing your paper job travelers in your old system. But this is also coming back to those acronyms earlier. When we're replacing five, six different systems with one, you don't need to get the functionality of all five or six on day one, right? Yeah. Just get the basics of getting rid of those paper travelers or having ProShop become the financial system of record of where job costing information is coming from. You can do that without getting into all the QMS and the other advanced details. Sure. You know, you're not going to go past your AS9100 audit next week yeah. with the full QMS. It um, makes sense. That makes a lot of sense to me. It's like a relationship. You've been married for 20 years or whatever. You know all these things that you couldn't have prepared for. You just had to learn throughout the time. And here we've got this software system that you have a relationship with. Everyone interacts with it. Absolutely. There's things they're going to love. There's things they're not going to love. There's things that are going to take longer to learn than others. And it's like, let yourselves evolve with the system that you're implementing. Have that base understanding so day one doesn't suck. Mm -hmm. And then grow with the system. And then like also, I'm sure ProShop, like almost every other software system, it iterates over time. Like you have sure. features, you have functionality that you didn't have the first year of Absolutely. your business. So Absolutely. Like as you're learning by doing with your customers... And they're saying, hey, what about this? Wouldn't this be great? You're able to just add that in. Like, oh, we're sure. going to add this functionality in too. So, all right, that's awesome. I'm going to ask Teacher Paul here to grade me on my understanding of this. Like okay. some, of these, some of these takeaway principles. And I'm going to add one more before we, do the, okay. yeah, before we cool. do the quiz. And that is sometimes companies are so overwhelmed by just trying to run their business, get the job out the door, 
that they don't invest the time to do the training and take the implementation as seriously as they thought they would when they first chose it. They're like, we're just too busy to show up for training. But the catch-22 is they're usually so busy doing really inefficient things in their old system that that's what's causing them to be so busy. Gotcha. So Okay, so that's the extra credit question. That's the extra credit. You could be my witness. I'm not looking at the notes here. Alignment is one of the key principles. Alignment. like So get all the functions that are going to be using the system, which is probably almost every function of your company. It should be. And make sure that they're all aligned with the selection process. The selection and the training. Because poor selection will lead to a poor implementation. 100% of the time. Okay, good. Number two, don't let one of those functions carry too much weight in the decision-making process, like maybe the accounting department or the finance department. How am I doing so far? You're doing great. Don't have separation anxiety with your old way or your old data. Correct. It's time to move on. You're switching for a reason. Let's commit to that. Let's be open-minded to new ways of thinking about things. Don't get analysis paralysis and do way too much research before you get started. Yeah, not the research, but the learning itself. Don't try to be a master of the entire system before you go live. Okay, so learn by doing. Yeah. All right, give me like eight out of 10 on that. (laughs) Hey, Metalworking Nation, Jason Zenger here. I have a special announcement for exhibitors at IMTS 2024. Can you believe it's going to be here soon? Plan to be at McCormick Place in Chicago for the IMTS Exhibitor Workshop on January 30th and the 31st, 2024. The Exhibitor Workshop is created to help IMTS exhibitors execute their most successful show and is free to all IMTS 2024 exhibitors. Did I say free? Here is what you can expect. Network with IMTS 2024 partners Get your questions answered by leaders of AMT and IMTS. Take a tour of McCormick Place. Find out what's new for IMTS 2024. They haven't even told me that yet. Attend special workshops. Again, this is free. Register at imts.com slash workshop. Again, imts.com slash workshop. Join us in Chicago on January 30th to make the extraordinary possible at IMTS 2024. And then, oh, the last one, the last one, do not neglect training. Absolutely. If you neglect training, you're going to screw up the, you will botch the implementation. Yeah, it's kind of the whole phrase, you can lead a horse to water, can't make them drink. There have been, unfortunately, some failures that we have had. And again, we're getting better at not letting those companies sign up in the first place by being really inquisitive about their commitment, their bandwidth, their change management. So we haven't even talked about what we call change management, Mm -hmm. but in many ways encompasses everything we've talked about. Because most companies, manufacturers are good at making stuff. They're not good at managing change, Mm -hmm. which any implementation of a big system is change management basically at its core. But yeah, don't feel like you need to master everything before even trying the very first steps. Gotcha. Cool. So, okay, what's my official grade? You can be honest. You're not going to hurt my feelings. I'm going to give you a 94. Oh, that's good. It's like the best grade I've maybe ever gotten in anything. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Well, Speaking of grades, we're going to ask our audience to do the three R's. We want them to rate our show, Making Chips, which often features Paul, the man. We want them to review it. So like, tell us what you think. Tell me I got a 94, maybe even a 95%, and I'll get <laughs> a new best grade, and then refer it to somebody. So like, if you know one of your peers in they don't have a good system or don't have a system at all, they're ready for their first system, 
and you don't want them to screw it up because you love them, you want this industry to be successful, the best thing you could do is send them this episode. Absolutely. Sound fair? You bet. Paul, you've done this, I don't know, 10 times. Can you sign us off? Do you know how to sign us I off do. on making chips? Because we're all manufacturers here, and if you're not making chips... You're not making money. Bam. Bam.